Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Day One Week One podcast. My name is Billy Bowering. Got my man, Nick Guida, over on the control. Say hello, Nick. Hello. Man, we got a good guest today. Let me tell you something. This guy, he's got his beat. I thought we had about the same time in law enforcement, but he revealed to me just moments ago. He's got a few more years. So it's my man, David. My man, David Rabin, local law enforcement, born and raised in Ainer, South Carolina. His career began in 2016 as a correction officer before joining his current agency in 2018 and going out on the road. He's had a strong passion for helping his community and has always had the back of his fellow officers. Everybody listening up right now, Mr. David Rabin. Say hello, Dave. Hey, how are you guys? Want to say thank you so much for getting the schedule, uh, getting everything set up, getting you out here. Uh, wasn't a very far drive. We changed the location for a little bit so that you uh, had a had a quicker drive to Aner. Oh, yeah. And so the cats wouldn't kill him. And so the cats wouldn't kill him. Yeah, my, uh, wife, yeah. my wife's cat. <laughs> he called me the day before. He's like, do you have a cat in your house? I was like, yeah, man. He's like, uh, I'm going to die. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> if I walk in your house. Yeah, pretty much. C- completely expire within like 10 minutes. So we changed the venue uh, just to make sure that we could uh, keep you alive for a while. <laughs> All right, man. So, hey, listen, I got a, I got a list of questions. Okay. Okay. Uh, some of them can get kind of deep. Some of them, hey, that's fine. hopefully we have have some fun, but we're here to reveal you and who you are. Um, oh, joy. Yeah. And I hope no psychiatrists are listening. <laughs> they could be. They could yeah. be. That would be a lot of fun. All right. So um, first question is, man, you were born and raised in Aner. Yes. South Carolina. Tell me what that was about. I'm actually from a, a, a real big farm family. Uh, my granddad did tobacco and, and cattle and, and all that stuff uh, for a long time. And uh, my uncle did it. My dad did it. And everybody did it. Um, my family name actually originated a couple hundred years ago from three brothers. And they, you know, the, the, the wingspan kind of went out. And uh, you can find my name anywhere now from Ainer all the way to the beach. Uh, we're originated from three brothers, but now it's so far spanned out and, you know, we don't even know each other, most of them. Um, but growing up on a farm, I, I, I've done everything, but tobacco, that's all I've, that's the only thing I haven't done. I've done any, every other type of crop there is, and I've done cattle and, and all that stuff. Um, fun fact of that, I've actually dealt with that since I joined the agency I'm with now, uh, in Forestbrook. I actually had okay. to deal with animals there, right. and uh, the officer that uh, assisted me with that was a uh, county officer, and he helped me with that, and uh, he was puzzled that I knew what I was doing so well, <laughs> and uh, he seemed to be amazed that I was able to do that with no issue, and uh, I told him, well, it's kind of normal to me because that's the way I was raised, and it's one of those things where just I know how to do it. You just you just been a South yeah. Carolina cowboy your whole I, life. I've pretty much I've been in I've been about. either on the river in the field or in the mud somewhere right. <laughs> in this in this county. I've been in every part of it my entire life. Right. Uh, I don't really have any desire to move anywhere because mm-hmm. I, I I can see all I can see from Google. But you know I love home. That's right. Uh, so I'm a homebody. Uh, but I enjoy enjoy this county and enjoy the people here. So that's the purpose of me serving here is is to make the community that I live in better because I didn't want to be a soldier. So I became an officer. Mm -hmm. So I just serve in a different capacity, nothing against, you know, 
soldiers or nothing, but they serve in their capacity and I serve in mine. Well, soldiers so, tend to leave their yes, hometown and yeah. you wanted to stay in yours. Yeah, I wanted to stay in mine. So right. that was my purpose of staying here was uh, I had some family issues at the time that I was of age to sign up. Uh, I still am, but, you know, at that time I had some family things going on that kept me from leaving. So I said, well, if I can't do that, I'll do this. And I enjoy both, you know, but this fit the uh, lifestyle that I needed at the time. So it worked out. And I've been doing it for almost 10 years now, and I enjoy it every day. It's it's fun. That's awesome. And you and I talk a lot. So we do. We, know, we do we talk know that, a lot. You know. So tell me about um, <clears throat> brother, sisters, mom and dad, stuff like that, that dynamic, uh, being on the farm, and then maybe you kind of you, you kind of went left left wing, white, right wing on them and yeah. went into law enforcement, a little bit different from the family tradition. Um, going into law enforcement was something my family was nervous about, especially mom, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but after a year, after about a year or so in it, uh, she could she could tell that it was something I enjoyed and something I was confident with, so she leveled off about the worry. Mm-hmm. She still worries, sure. obviously, but it's not near as uh, you know as near as serious all the time. Uh, you know, used to it was hey I'll call two or three times a shift. Hey, are you okay? You, you okay? You got something to drink? You got food? You, got blah, blah, you know. And now are you, it's are you eating? Yes, right, exactly. You Have you eaten yet? And uh, and then it turned into, I get home and she's like, "You have a busy night?" And yeah, yeah. Anything crazy? Oh well, a car chase. You know, somebody we had to fight somebody. And she's like, "Oh okay, are you all right?" I'm like, yeah. The only time she ever got worries, I came home one day. I got injured at work, and I come home in bandages. And she goes, "Uh, there's something I need to know." And I go, "Nah, I'm fine." And she goes, "How bad is it?" And I go, "Well." Not stitches, but I'm going to need Band-Aids. And she goes, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> at, the, at this point in my career, she's like, eh, you know, I know he's tough enough to handle it, so I'm, I'm not pressure him too much, but I know who I can call to find out if he's okay. And that's a good thing because she, you know, she's real big on not bothering me at work, you mm-hmm. know. So, um, but no brothers, sisters. Uh, okay. Dad did, dad and mom both worked for the school district uh, for their entire career. Um. Dad was at one point the head of carpentry for all of Horry County Schools for the maintenance department. And mm-hmm. He's been retired for I don't even know how many years now, but he did it for almost thirty years. Mm-hmm. He enjoyed it. Uh, last couple of years, um, he enjoyed it even more because he was getting close to retirement, and now he stays busy at home more than he did at work. I hear uh, that a lot, which yeah. is good. Which good keeps you around for a while too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, and he's um he he works. I, I'm telling you, he could work more in one day than me, you, and Nick could in a mm-hmm. month. Uh, man, that man can go from daylight to dark at you know his age, and and still work me to death. Mm-hmm. And I'm you know I'm late thirties or late twenties, and I can I still can't keep up with it. It's that generation. Yeah, he yeah. he's just, he's yeah. just a different breed to me. Uh, it's just weird. It, yeah. To me, I don't know how in the world he gets enjoyment out of working so much. You know, I, li- I like to relax every once in a while. Right. So, uh, but um, nobody, only two people we've had in law enforcement uh, was um, my grandma's uh, nephew was a, a sheriff's deputy for here, here in Horry County. Mm-hmm. And uh, he passed away a long, long time ago, uh, long before I was even old enough to even think about law enforcement. Uh, and then my granddad, my mom's dad, uh, actually was a Myrtle Beach officer in the hmm. 50s. 
Oh, wow. Uh, so um, I've actually seen, I don't know where it's at now, but I've actually seen his badge from the 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've seen it, you know, and uh, knowing that and then having another family at the sheriff's office and then I got a cousin that he worked as a detention officer at the sheriff's office. Um, <clears throat> he's, he's not there anymore, but uh, having all those figures around law enforcement and I'm a gun nut too. I love firearms and I mm-hmm. love, you know, the second <laughs> amendment and all that good stuff. Right. Uh, but I fell into it so naturally. Everything just kind of flowed. I was good at firearms. I was good with, with uh, any type of firearm, pistol, shotguns, rifles. I was good at it. Mm-hmm. And even surprised some instructors at the academy with it because mm. uh, I could handle a shotgun better than most up there. Um, and that, I credit that to living in the country. Right. Um, but uh, joining law enforcement was something that my philosophy was I wanted to help people who couldn't help themselves. Mm-hmm. I wanted to defend people who couldn't defend themselves because I, I, I'm not, I don't like people who bully others. So being in law enforcement, I could back up the ones who couldn't defend themselves. Right. Um, and, and speaking from the, the cop mentality, as long as you didn't dig your hole yourself, I'm good to back you up. Right. You know, so long as you did right, I'm good with backing you up and defending you. Um, but law enforcement just kind of drug me into it. Mm-hmm. I, 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 that was a calling, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it, it's fun. I enjoy it. Uh, and the danger really doesn't push me away mm-hmm. because my philosophy of, of uh, being in law enforcement and I was born in a ba- uh, Southern Baptist home. So uh, the phrase spare the rod, spoil the child is, is very well known in my household. <laughs> uh, when I was young, dad, ruled with an iron fist, but with a soft mattress, mm-hmm. you know, you, you could, uh, you could do most anything you wanted until he spoke and said no. And then that was it. You know, you, you didn't, I it, was raised in a household that, that the pa- the parents ruled uh, until you rolled enough to have, be a, yeah, a valuable opinion. Dad didn't se. have to say it a second time. I'm no, assuming. he never had to say it a second time. And even, even now you go to my house, right. me and all my family members, my cousins and stuff, if, if they stay at our house, Dad speaks one time and yeah. everybody's wide awake, <laughs> sitting up in the bed looking at what, what do you need? Yeah. Um, you know, where, where, where would you need to go? You know, so uh, that, that was definitely interesting growing up. Um, and then the, the religion thing kind of played into being a, an officer because I don't worry about what happens to me as long as the person that I'm helping survives what we're in. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you and I have been in this situation, and, and Nick as well, uh, and we were all in this situation once before, <laughs> uh, right. where we had to go help. Uh, we had to go help you out, and uh, we uh, we came together, and we we got through that situation, and you know made sure you were good, and then I made sure you were good, so your wife didn't freak out and drag me. <laughs> yeah, to we, your were house. Talk, we were going to talk about that a little yeah, bit later. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. But uh, <clears throat> right, that whole philosophy <laughs> of Running into the fire mm-hmm. is is what drives me to go to work. I mean, right. you can ask anybody that is close to me. When the call comes in that somebody needs help, I'm the first one out the door. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what I'm doing. I don't care if I'm in a meeting with the captain. Captain, I'll call you back. Or, you know, so you know, whoever my rank structure is that's in front of me, hey, I'll come back and talk to you. I got to go. Right. My people come first. I'll come back. We'll, we'll, right. I, you can fire me later. I'm going to go make sure he's that's good. Right. And I'll come back. 
Um, and it's one of the, you know, again, I, and law enforcement is just a, a calling. Uh, and I enjoy it. I love it every day. And you know that as well as I do. Absolutely. We, I mean, we, we smile at each other as we pass each other on the road sometimes. Absolutely. That look, that look that I gave you the other night when you, you came in, <laughs> I had that old lady on the side of the road there and it was funny. It was, yeah, it was, was pretty funny. Yeah. I thought I had me a good one. I thought I had a, a, a DUI. Yeah. The car was traveling with its lights off, was going through stop signs, all that mess. I was actually on the phone with him at the time. I said, David, let me call you back. I think I got me a good one. So yeah. I hung up with him. He hears me pull him, pull the person over. I walk up and as I'm, as I'm walking up to the car, David pulls up behind me and this old, I think she would, she called herself grandma. Uh, she she was, called herself. She said, you've been really nice to grandma. Respectfully, she was right. of that age. Right. She said, you've been really nice to grandma like that. And yeah. she looked up at me with this big old smile and said, I'm so <laughs> sorry. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And I look was, back at David and he just kind of, did that face and walked away. He was like, all right, I think you're good. And turned around. Yeah. Got back in his car. Yeah. <clears throat> but was, I thought I had a good one. And uh, he said, that's not what you thought it was, was it? Yeah. So. <laughs> and we've, we've definitely had those situations before. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So you kind of covered some of the uh, questions that I had about what was the a- attraction to law enforcement? What, what made you ultimately decide? And, and I think it's true for myself too. It took me a lot longer to feel confident enough to step into that role. Um, but I felt like it's always been a calling uh, for me. I know Nick feels that way as well. It's just something that there's not a question. When the call comes out, we're going to be the guy that goes. I mean, it's just, it's always been that way for me. Um, so the attraction or the decision to get in law enforcement, I think it's pretty mutual. Um, I guess my next big question is why the agency that you chose what was the attraction for that agency as opposed to other ones in the area? Um, well, I actually put in for your agency at one time and didn't, I think later on, I later on in my time, I found out that my application actually got shuffled around into a wrong spot and didn't go where it was supposed to. And that was okay because at that time I was confident that, you know, I was where I was supposed to be. I wasn't mm-hmm. upset about it. You know, right. it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like nobody messed with it or, or, or pushed me back because of some reason. It was just a, a mishap. Um, but the agency I ended up with was always a calling for me. Uh, it was always a desire because of what we do. And you know what I do, and Nick mm-hmm. knows what I do. And, right. I, and as you and I have talked before, uh, I've got quite a few of those encounters already right. this year. And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, I've become proficient at it. So uh DUIs are something I don't care for. Um I've actually got a re- a very good reason behind that. And uh but DUIs is something that I don't think uh I think that's an intentional decision to put yourself above others because speeding is oh sorry I looked down I'm a little heavy footed you know whatever. Sometimes I'm a, right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, for certain situations we've been right. in, um, it, you know, other violations that we see on the, on the road are not necessarily intentional, but need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. DUI is one of those things where you chose to do that. Mm-hmm. And with all of today's 
technology and ride shares and Uber and all that good stuff. So many resources. So many other things we could do not to get behind the wheel. It surprises me that people still do it. And especially as, as a much frequently as we see it, especially you and I, because we're looking for it all the time. Right. Uh, and the age group of people that choose to do it are phenomenal too. Because I see more early 20s, late teens, and then more than 50-year-olds. Those are the two age groups I get the most. Mm-hmm. The mid, you know, midlife crisis age, and I'm picking on you, Billy. <laughs> okay. Uh, the midlife crisis age, I don't see a lot as much as I do those other two age groups, mm-hmm. and it's kind of, uh, it's kind of odd. But it's one of those things. DUI is one of those things I can't stand because you chose to put yourself in that position, and now you're endangering everybody else. And I've been to too many crash scenes. Right. So, I think there's a dynamic that goes with that, the age dynamic. Yeah. When you're Late 20s, mid 40s, you got kids at home. Yeah. You don't have the freedom. And so most, I'm going to say the majority of Americans have some sort of responsibility that they feel to those kiddos. Yeah. And they're not going to end up in jail. Yep. So there's, I think there's that dynamic. There's a few exceptions to that rule, but right. you know. And, and I think a, that's why those numbers are down. Yeah. Yeah. Once um, the kids move out and you got grandkids maybe coming over once a month or something. And yeah, you know, that's obviously, and then we understand the younger yeah, that's, that's situation is because it's friend. It's well, and, then and, you, and then you also have the, well, now I've recently retired and again, you don't have kids at home. So now I can have my freedom. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they get a little over, overzealous with that right. and they jump on it too quick or jump on it too heavy and it bites them, you know? So, so the main, the main driver for it is, the is, agency is is, is is DUI enforcement. Gotcha. Yeah, is DUI enforcement. I like traffic. I enjoy traffic. And you and I have done traffic a lot together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is the main point for the for the agency I chose. And uh, we're the premier agency in the state for that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I like to do. And that's what I that's what I enjoy. Hopefully, uh hopefully this year I'll I'll my uh get more than Lewis and, and the other guys and kind of make a competition out of right. that, for that. You know, so. <laughs> so when it comes, you said you, you've been to plenty of bad wrecks, things like yeah. that. Um, obviously that's a driving force. Yes. To, to enforce. Yes. Um, I don't have it listed down a question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Okay. Um, in your nine plus years in law enforcement, um, responding to critical incidents on the road, like that. Um, is there one in particular? That, yeah, there's, you, there's, well, I'm, I, I understand there's a continuation, oh, but yeah. is, there, is there one that really kind of, yeah, there's, sticks um, out? well, there's, there's the one, the one that got me into this business. Mm-hmm. And then there's one that I dealt with shortly after I became on this agency. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that started me in it was, uh, without giving too many details, uh, an older lady struck a vehicle with, uh, lots of, with, you know, three or four adults and a small, a child in a car. Um, the adults suffered, uh, near death injuries and 
the child ended up with a broken femur and the child was less than eight months old. Wow. Now that wasn't with, I wasn't with the agency I was with now. I was a correction officer still, but that person involved came to my facility at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what really struck me wrong about it, I guess you could say, and drove me to the career I'm in now is the attitude towards the scenario they were in. It was more of, I'm worried about what happened to my car and what happened to my dog that was with me than the four people that I injured in a crash that could have, one, could have well been prevented. And two, still could have been far worse because only one person suffered uh, fatal wounds in that collision. It was only one fatality out of that. It could have been four. Sure. Uh, but it was one of those situations where that could have been prevented and the resulting attitude just set a fire in me that I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to see that anymore. Right. Not from that point of view. I want, mm-hmm. if I was going to see it, I would wanted to see it because I was the, the prosecuting authority of that. Right. I wanted to be the guy that put that person behind bars for doing that because it was a very egregious act and it could have been prevented. And the lack of compassion for doing it kind of drove home the, the desire to go to the agency I was with now mm-hmm. or I'm with now. Um, and then the second or the one I, you know, was with the one that the second one that was, I'm with now, mm-hmm. the agency I'm with now. Sure. And then the the wreck that happened right after I started was uh matter of fact, the friend that I dealt with uh, that collision with talked to him just the other day. And we actually talked about this same collision then. Um, and his, uh, we were talking about it and his son asked about it and we told him, but the, the scenario was uh, mother and a child on the way to school lost control of the vehicle and the child suffered fatality wounds. Um, the, uh, the scenario was kind of tough because you saw the child and it was a child less than 10 years old. Um, and it was definitely difficult because that was the first time I had seen, a, it was one of the first times I'd ever seen a deceased person up close. And then on top of the fact, it was a child. Right. Uh, it was humbling in the sense that uh, it's kind of hard to respond to that. I didn't know what to say. I kind of stood there for a minute. My partner came up, he tapped me on the shoulder. He said, hey, you need to take a minute? I said, uh, no, I'm good. Just, just give me a sec. I walked away, and I might have to walk away from the mic here in a minute. Uh, but it was one of those scenarios where you looked at it, and I didn't know how to respond. Mm-hmm. I kind of froze. You know, of course, I was a new guy, and you know, all rookies they freeze just you know riding on the road most of the time. But this was one of those scenarios where it was like, stop, mm-hmm. just get your mind right. You still got a job to do. We still got to finish. Um. And my partner came up to me later on and he said, he said, Hey man, he said, uh, we still got to go do the notification to the, to the mother because they just EMS grabbed the mom up, threw her in the medic and took off, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he said, uh, he said, I'm not going to make you participate in that. He said, I can see you're bothered by it. Um, I said, well, good. I said, I appreciate that. I said, I'm going to go take a minute. And he said, uh, he said, that's fine. He said, but don't go far. I want to see you after. It's okay. So, um, 
that was a scenario that uh, definitely changed the outlook of the the job. Um, and for a long time after that, and I say long time, probably six or eight months, uh, you could really tell a real hard difference in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you couldn't, if you walked by me in a crowd, you couldn't tell anything. But if you knew me, mm-hmm. you knew what was wrong. Uh, matter of fact, um, about three or four months after that, uh, I, I say my cousin a lot. I have no brothers or sisters, but he's like my brother. Mm-hmm. So my mom called him up and she said, I don't know why, she said, but David is real wound tight. Like everything you say to him, it sets him off. He's upset all the time. Like he's just, he's just irritable. And you know how moms are. And her, her statement to him was, he's just mean as a rattlesnake today. And uh, he said, let me call you back. He said, I'm going to call him. I'm going to talk to him. And uh, he called me and he said, what you doing? I said, well, I'm fit to get off work at six. I said, I'll, uh, I'll call you back. And he said, okay. He said, well, when you get done, he said, uh, and him and I have this, beha- this uh, we have this way with each other. He goes, I expect you at my house at 630. Shower, clean, shaved, and ready to go. He said, we're going to go find some, we're going to go somewhere and go somewhere to eat. I said, okay. You know, I didn't argue with him. I was, I was good with it. So about 645, I come rolling up. He said, you're 15 minutes late. <laughs> he said, I thought you were supposed to be on time. I said, well, I said, you got to suffer a little bit. <laughs> so him and I got in the vehicle and we took off and uh, he talked to me that night. We talked about it and uh, we went and got something to eat and we came back to his house, hung out for a little while and about 2.30 that morning, I went home, and uh, he called my mom the next day. He said, I know what's wrong with him. She said, what's wrong with him? He said, well, and he told her the scenario, and she said, I heard about that, but I didn't know he went to it. He said, yeah. He said, uh, just give him a minute. He said, don't bother him. He said, leave him alone. Um, he said, just let him just let him relax for a minute. He said, don't, don't ask him. Just let him go. Let him do his thing. Um, and for a while, she would just kind of, hey, you okay? Yeah, I'm good. And I'd keep right on rolling. You know, I was getting my mind focused on other things to keep me off that thought. Um, and then one day, I come in the house, and uh, I think I was coming home from work. And she said, hey, come here a minute. And I said, okay. And she goes, uh, your cousin told me what was going on. And I said, okay. She goes, you tell me what you need when you need it. Other than that, I'm, I'll sit right here. That was kind of her mindset of it. And so I told her about it and she said, well, it's not something you could help. So don't, don't stress it too much, but you can definitely do your best to try to prevent it at your job. So you could tell it bothered me for a while, but it wasn't something that I let slow me down. Uh, I went back to work just as just as proud as I was the day I started and didn't slow down a bit, but it definitely changes you to see something like that. And uh, it definitely gets hard to talk about sometimes. And like my, we were talking the other day, matter of fact, uh, Sunday, this past Sunday, we went to the river and uh, – it was me and my buddy that went to it with me. He's no longer in the business, but him and I were talking about it. His son asked about it. 
about that situation and we were talking about it and uh I paused for a second and then I turned and looked at Alexis and she kind of looked at me and I could tell she knew something was wrong. But then I just kind of shook it off and went right back to work. Cause I mean, it's been, you know, it's been, uh, three years since I had three, three or four years since that happened. But, uh, that definitely does. It does humble you up a little bit because you don't really, you don't really understand this business until you see something like that. And you've seen it at a different capacity. You and Nick seen it at a different capacity. Uh, but I've seen it more in traffic collisions. And I've got to the point now where when that call comes in, you know, we just, I just flip the switch and go to a different mindset to, to prepare yourself to, to see what you're about to see. And I've seen some pretty, uh, let's say, graphic collisions. And I've seen some things that uh, more or less you get there and you go, yeah, it's not supposed to do that, mm-hmm. you know, and it's kind of your way of dealing with it is to label it as uh, something. I guess our way of, of compensating for the trauma is saying something humorous about it, you know, not to be disrespectful to anybody, but it's to, it's to label it as something you can handle without it putting too much pressure on you. Cause it, and you and I talked about this the other day, we see a lot of traumatic incidents in our, in our career. And I don't know about you, but I still got 18 years left. <laughs> so I got plenty of time to stack up what I got. So it's going to be an interesting, <clears throat> you know, it's an interesting thing. So, so coming from that's three years ago. Yeah. And I could see on your face. It's, I mean, it's still, it, it's, it's hard to talk about and you, you can barely keep eye contact with me yeah, when, it's, you, when you're talking about yeah, it. Yeah, so. it's still it's it still drags up yep. real harsh feelings about it. So let me ask I'm gonna ask you flat out, okay? This isn't this is way out of where the realm of where we're going, but I'm gonna ask you this. Who have you talked to about it other than your friends? Have you, uh, I've, have talk, you talked I've to talked to I've talked to everybody. Any no, prof- no any professionals, professionals, no. Uh uh-uh. uh. Okay. But I talked to all of my family, I've talked to friends. Obviously, mm-hmm. the ones, most of the people that I work with at that time are still with my current agency. And I've got partners that I've talked to about it. And it, and don't get me wrong, it doesn't bother me on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. But if you ask me that question and get me to talk about it, sure. it's going to drag up some, right. some emotion. I understand that. Uh, but on any given day, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling from ear to ear every minute. And you've seen right. that. And Nick's right. seen that. And we, we've, you know, come up to, to, calls together and mm-hmm. uh it doesn't you know that situation doesn't bother me day to day to day but if you ask me about it i'll you know it definitely drags when up I, those emotions when i see you interact with the public okay the best way i can uh, the best definition i can give is that you're i want to say i want to say joyful but that's not it's i mean you're excited about being, yeah. being able to do yeah. what you do and you can see that it that's all over you when yeah. you're your mannerisms, your personality, everything about you. And is, I try not to be so serious very about po- everything. Right. Very positive. Yeah. I see all that. Um, this is a, there's a portion of this though, that I want to make sure that Nick and I, and the reason why we do this is that we want to make sure that you've got the tools in your toolbox so that the next time you come up on a scenario that's similar yeah. to that, it doesn't make you freeze to the point where now it can't be helped. 
Oh no, they no. put you in a different realm, and now it's it's put you in a place where you can't you can't be fixed. Yeah, no, no. It's I've I've had conversations with people about it, and like I said before, I'm I'm Southern Baptist, so I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a little bit religious. So I have religious uh, religious beliefs to kind of help me through that. Um, you're you, real, have, you have a faith in the creator. Yes, you have a, a faith in, right. in the purpose of the job and That's why right. the job's there. Um, and, and I try not to focus on the things that I can't control, especially one of those things where, like that situation, by the time we got there, it was over. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing we could do. I mean, it wasn't no, there wasn't any life-saving measures we could have done to make right. it any easier or, or to, to fix that situation. So you, you kind of put yourself in a, a mindset of, I did everything I could mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll let, I'll let God handle the rest. I'll do what I can up until what I've been given and know how to do. And then I'll let him do the rest. If, if it goes past that, then I, I, that's not something I focus on. I focus on what I have the ability to do. So unless somebody's talking about it, somebody brings it up, like, yeah, I, I, don't, brought, I brought up the conversation. So obviously you're yeah. talking about it. it it's emotional. It's yeah. a situation that you dealt with. Um, but unless it's a conversation, like you said, you, you were talking about it with your buddy the other day. Yeah. It's not something that when you're by yourself, you're, you're dwelling on mm-hmm. or anything like that. It's, no. it, it's something that in conversation, you feel like you're in a safe environment where you can express your feelings about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I, that's healthy. Yeah. I have a, I have a extremely supportive family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, talking about my dad, you can, you can walk in a room and he can tell something's wrong <laughs> with anybody in the room. You could walk in the house with a look on your face and he'll look you dead in the face and he's being funny, but he's also being serious. He really wants to know, but he's also cracking you up so that you don't feel bad. He'll look at you and he'll say, well, what's wrong with you? Why you got a sour face? And it's, it's his way of saying, Hey, I want to know what's going on, but I don't want to make you feel like you got to tell me, you tell me when you're ready. If you want to right. talk to me, I'm here. Um, in the beginning of my career, he wouldn't, he wouldn't ever call me. He called mom. Hey, you talked to David today. Mm-hmm. Say, yeah. I talked to him about an hour ago. Oh, okay. And he, he wouldn't ask her anything else. As long as she talked to me, he was good. And now. Because she would tell him if something right, was up. Yeah, yeah, she would tell him. And if I came home, he would, because in our house, he where he sits, he can see the front door and then he can see down the hallway to where my room is. And if I walk in the house and I got this sour attitude, I can be walking away from him. He can tell it. <laughs> uh, he's just that good. I mean, he's just very good with people. and. Uh, I'll be, I'll walk in the door and he can tell if something bothers me. But then at the same time, he'll, he won't ask in front of mama. Mm -hmm. If he sees something wrong, he won't say a word. I'll go do my thing, get my uniform off, set my gear away. I'll come get me some drink, go back down to my room. And then he'll kind of ease in there and he'll open the door and he'll, Hey, you all right? Yeah. Why? I just figured something was up. Okay. He said, uh, how's your day? You know, and I'll tell him and, and, uh, you sure that's it? Let's say, no, 
<laughs> well, let me tell you about this call right here, and I'll start. And he'll and he'll just sit there and he'll just he'll listen and he'll say, "Well, it sounded to me like you did what you're supposed to do." And he, and, you know, he has that philosophy too. If you did what you were supposed to do, right. he, you know, it, he don't worry about what you can't control. And he gives you that information. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'll tell him, "Well, I wish I could have done this. Well, I wish I couldn't do that." And he'll say, "Well, you can't take it back now, can you?" I said, "No." Well, don't worry about it, you know, because in this job, we make split second decisions Mm -hmm. that we have to live with the rest of our life. And, uh, it sucks because we'll make that split second decision. And then six, eight, nine, 10 months later, a year two, whatever, we'll come back to it and we'll go, I wonder if I could have done this and it would have been different. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wonder if I could have changed the outcome. Because I've even had that, that thought process on a daily, like, for instance, if we have a fatality out near my house, anywhere out in the country, my thought my thought process will go, well, I wonder if I'd have went around that way, would I have seen that speeding vehicle and stopped it? You know, just because I think in my head, darn, I could have done something different. I could have changed my behavior today or changed my routine and been fine. Mm-hmm. You know, and instead of, for instance, instead of going 319 to Conway, I could have took 501 and I could have stopped that speeding vehicle that wrecked at 501 and such and such road. You know, or I could have went 319 instead of 501 and stopped that one that wrecked over there. So, again, that, that, thought process of don't bother with what you can't control really does help with any kind of trauma that I've seen or any kind of trauma that bothers me because I just analyze what I have, what I could have done, what I did and live with it. And I, I I just, I, I push in my head and make it a hard truth and you have to be hard with truth sometimes make it a hard truth that I couldn't have done anything different to save anybody or to do anything to, to fix the scenario because you can't take it back. Well, there's, so, there's always going to be critics. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, well, we see that every day. Right. We see that, uh, you get your Facebook police badge. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and your Facebook lawyer degree. That's right. You get all the critics out there telling you, well, if I was a police officer, this is what I yeah. would and then you look at, and then you look at their Facebook profile, and it's. Uh, uh, you look at um, it and you go, "Well, it's a good thing you're not." <laughs> right? Yeah, thing. absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm really glad you're not my partner because I'll probably be in more shape than I am now. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's the 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 split second decision thing. I think haunts a lot of people, mm-hmm. especially in this career, because we uh, we make decisions and then we have to second guess ourselves. And that's what takes out a lot of uh, new guys, mm-hmm. you know, that come on this job and don't stay long because they're worried they can't succeed. It's because they make split second decisions and their decision worked, but it didn't work out perfect. It's not going to work out perfect, but it bothers them because they think that that decision was completely wrong. And somebody six, seven ranks ahead of them is going to get mad and say, you don't deserve to be here or whatever, because you made a split second decision. You made the decision. You didn't screw nothing up. You just did it in an unconventional way or not the way we want you to do it. Mm-hmm. But that's fine. You're going to learn. Own it. 
Yeah, yeah. Just own the just own it <laughs> own and it. go go with it, and and we'll make we'll pick it up later. You know, we can right. we can reevaluate and and mm-hmm. train and and you know do things different. But uh, I can't tell you how many times I've looked at something and went, "Well, if I did that, I, you know, that well, suspect might not have got away, or that right might not have happened, or whatever." I've decided um, most recently, ever since uh, January, um, I don't look at my body cams anymore unless I'm told to. Well, I'm not, not going to second guess it. I'm going to, that's the decision I made. I'm going to own yeah. it. If I messed up, I messed up. Yeah. But that's the decision I made. I'm not going to sit there like, um, like the uh, quarterback coach and say, well, this guy was open or that guy was open. You could have threw the ball here. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not going to do that. Well, I'm going to own it. So I've decided not to look at my body cam footage uh, afterwards to critique myself because then it will it will throw myself against the wall and it's hindsight. Like you said, yeah, man, well, I sh- man, I shouldn't have done this. And then you're going to go into another situation and you're going to hesitate for that one second. Critical incidents. I don't ever review because in that moment, there's no time for second guessing again that life's that, that split second decision. I don't ever worry about. I just go with it. Right. Rely on your training. Yes, exactly. Because in, for every agency that there is in this business, first responders, your training will work. Just go back to the basics. Right. And I was told this, you know, through my career in different types of training, because I've been through correction training. I've been through uh, uh, road patrol, uh, class one training. And for both sets of training, I was always told, go back to your training. Go back to the basic things of what we told you. You know, for instance, one of the things that I was told when when dealing with traffic direction, if all else fails, stop everybody and work one piece at a time, mm-hmm. and it'll work out. So, again, that goes back to fall back to the fundamentals, stop everything, and then work your way out. Because once you get the center controlled, everything else just falls apart or falls, falls together. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't... Start in the or middle. It falls apart. Or yeah, falls it, well, apart. it could fall apart. Hindsight. But hey, that's people the, do what they want. Sometimes. Yeah, that, right. Exactly. Um, and, and you and I have been on certain uh, situations right. where throwing a flashlight might be the next best option because they won't listen, and, and we're standing in the middle of the highway and wondering if we're gonna. And you're standing there with a cracked windshield. Right. Wishing you hadn't done that. <laughs> yeah, and a, and a piece of paper that's got a, a court date on it. Right. You know exactly. Uh, <laughs> And it's, um, it's, it, yeah, that's, that's definitely funny. That's, that's, uh, one of those situations that we, you and I have been in a lot, <laughs> but yeah, go back to your training, go, right. you know, uh, and make those decisions on them and move on. Cause that's, I, you, you know, so to, to, to go along with that, um, with your training, one thing's one thing that I don't believe that any of us have ever, ever been trained for is ties into my next question, which is the stigma that is associated with the accumulation of trauma that continues, the stigma of trying to get help, of, for example, what you're talking about. Yeah. You, you endured that. It was two, three years ago. It still bothers you when you talk about it. I get it. You, you, yeah. you manage it. Okay. Yeah. But the stigma of trying to get more tools in your toolbox to be able to, if that ever happens again, 
being able to handle it maybe a little better. It won't take you six yeah. months. Mom's not going to notice that you've yeah, you well, know, and, and, been a certain kind of way or, or mean as a rattlesnake kind of yeah, stuff. Right. And again, that comes from one, I was new mm-hmm. Two, that was the first time I'd ever dealt with it. So you did, I, I was young. I didn't really know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So again, that goes back to if I had to do it over with again, I would have just asked somebody if nothing more than talk to a family member and get it off my chest. Because see, my mistake was I didn't talk about it for a while. Mm-hmm. I just kind of let it bottle up. And then when I finally did talk about it, I felt great. So that's what I'm asking. Is during the academy, at no, any we point didn't. of our training, in any point of our training, were we told, listen, if you're going through something that puts you a certain way, so my question is, where's that stigma coming from? What, what is it that makes us believe that if we're struggling with something in that moment, that we can't go and get the tools in our toolbox or help it's, us to cope with these things? Yeah. What, what is that stigma and how do we get rid of it? It's the mentality that we're supposed to be the higher standard. And that's, that's, I get that mentality to a certain extent, but don't train. I wouldn't train that you can't go get help because here's the thing that I see with agencies across the country. They offer programs to help trauma after the trauma. They don't tell you about the programs until the trauma's done. And that's wrong. You should put that up front and say, it's here. We're not going to push you to it, right. but we're going to offer it. And we're going to hold it right here in front of you so that when you need it, you're good. Talking about availability. And, and, and don't, and people who've experienced trauma, don't be anonymous about it and don't hide from it because you're not going to fix anything hiding your face and you're not going to, you're not going to get that relief until you let everybody know what you're going through. So they know, because if I don't know what your trauma is, I don't know how to respond when you're getting like the behavioral thing. Mm-hmm. You're getting heavy handed or you're getting loud or you're getting or meanos aggressive. Yeah, there you go. Right. If you're getting aggressive, I don't know how to, I don't know what I'm looking at. I don't know if you're just that way or if you're getting triggered by something that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And I, in, I've been to Academy three different times. I've been for correctional. I've been for class one school. And then I've been for my extra training for my agency. Mm-hmm. In all of those trainings, to my knowledge, I was never told up until the last couple of years, our agency has added something on for that. Mm-hmm. But original training I never had anything that said, hey, here's a number. This is the agency on call or this is the agency contact for this reason. Call them if you need something. Right. Just a one-hour class of somebody coming in and saying, hey, here's a situation we're going to run into. Yep. Stigma, uh, not the stigma, but trauma is something you're going to experience in this career. I heard a stat the other day. I thought it was incredible. There was a guy, I was listening to another podcast, and he was talking about this, the uh, the trauma that an average American will go through in his lifetime, possibly three traumas, maybe a, a car accident, you know, a, a friend dies tragically, something like that, some kind of a traumatic incident. An average American or an average person will go through three in a lifetime. And the statistic that blew me away is that police officers will experience up to 100 on average. 188 traumas 
a year. And that and that stat comes from every agency from a two-man department right. to, to a 30,000 department. Correct. It's all those in one, and it's still that high. You know. And now that, it's, it's getting higher in, in it some will. cases. It, yeah. Well, it will because our numbers get lower because we have a hard time getting people to join. And then on top of that, you throw a statistic like that out mm-hmm. and they're going to go, no, nah, I ain't doing that. Yeah, I, ain't, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be that. I, right. I don't want to be that guy in 10 years. Um, and I, I will say this, and I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, but if, if you're, if something you go through at work makes you feel like you can't do the job anymore, it's nothing wrong with saying, I need a break. Because I've seen officers who who left the job and then came back. If you need that break, take that break. Because you're not going to do yourself any good burying yourself in more trauma just so you can satisfy the job. It's it it you can find a job somewhere else. That's you know, it. I don't want people to leave, but if that's what you need to fix that trauma, do that and then come back. I would love to see you come back. Especially if you come back and you look brighter when you walk in the door and you don't look like you're <laughs> fixing the Zombify walk through a wall or something, you know, right. it, it, if you fix that issue and you come back and you're better at your job, do that. My reaction was textbook after January. Yep. I signed up for extra duty. Yep. I focused on my job. Yep. And went more into I worked, overtime. I worked 16 days straight. Yep. On night shift. Yeah. And you know how that wears on your body? Oh, absolutely. 16 days straight. And I, then, and then I walked in, I had, I think I had one day off. Um, I had one day off and then I went on day shift to help cover for another, another shift. Mm-hmm. And during that day, there was a call that I, I was so frustrated. It was a phone call. It was to me, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. So I made a phone call instead of going to the scene. Yep. And this individual made it very clear. I want to report for it. Yeah. It, right. And my statement was, there's nothing to report. <laughs> that was, that was definitely the wrong thing to say. Yeah. Cause then my Lieutenant called me in and he was like, listen, uh, you've been working really hard these last couple of weeks yep. since January, since this situation you've been in. Yep. We're going to need you to take some time off. Yeah. And when amazing. You- that my agency noticed that when you get to that point where someone in your chain says, you got to take it, you got to take some time. Mm-hmm. That's when you know that you are pushing the rev limiter too hard. Absolutely. And well, even I knew it, but I was just trying to focus on my job, but yeah. thankfully we had, you know, the agency that, that we're in, they were perceptive enough to see what I was doing and going through. They're like, this is textbook yeah. of what happens after a traumatic incident. We need to we need to make sure we don't lose this and, guy. And, and and that response from them may have right. come from your guys that are around you saying, This guy never goes home. Yeah. This guy never slows down. He's always working. You know, he's handling fifty calls a day. Like he is burning himself out. Mm-hmm. And then by the time they tell your lieutenant that, you're like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm good. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's go. And then he tells you, no, stop. And then when you finally sit down, you take your vest off, you sit down at home, you go, Jesus, now I see what he's talking about. And then you're married. 
Um, Nick, you're not married, are you? Okay, so, uh, but <laughs> your your other your significant other sees it because mm-hmm. I Alexis has seen it with me, right? So I'll come, I'll I'll be working, you know, seven, eight, nine days straight, mm-hmm. and then I'll I'll go see her, and I walk in the door, and she's like, "What's wrong with you? You look like warmed over death." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "I'm tired," yeah. and she goes. How many days have you worked? And I go, well, I work nine days, 12 hours a day. Yep. Uh, some of those days were 14-hour days because I stayed over for whatever reason. Because of a call. Yeah, call, like that. Yep. Yeah, some, whatever. And we're short. And exactly. We're short. Yeah, and I'm standing on the side of the road in the 112-degree heat in the daytime, and my vest is cooking me from the inside out, mm-hmm. and I'm just, I'm burnt out. So and, all of that going into a big, big package of all the traumas and all yep. that kind of stuff, all right, you finally take a day off. You're sitting at the house. There's nobody around. Okay. And. Oh, yeah. I, I know exactly. Yeah. You, you get. Hear, you hear where I'm at. Yeah. You, okay. You're, you're sitting in a room. TV's playing. Mm-hmm. You got your phone in your hand. You're <clears throat> plugging through Amazon. Yep. And then the whole world seems like it just shrinks. Right. And the room, you, you just seem like the only thing you see is that little phone in front of your face. Right. And then your brain goes click. And you realize that for the last 45 minutes. You've been doing nothing but staring at a phone that hasn't moved and it's black because you're, you're zoned out from all the things that your brain's thinking about. So here's the question. You're in that spot, Dave. You're thinking about it. You're going through it. Okay. Things are coming up. You start questioning yourself, all that kind of stuff. Are you making the phone call? If I need it. Yeah. I'm I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm putting you in that point where oh, you're, you're about yeah. to make a decision whether you're going to end it or yes. continue it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Are you making that phone call? Yes, absolutely. Okay. If it, if you do it, I think people's thing is that they get the, the unrealization or the realization that they have to do it through a psychiatrist or a doctor or whatever. And they don't want to talk to some stranger. That's mm-hmm. not the way you have to go about it. You can call a friend. And say, hey, man, I need help. I need you to help me. He can make that phone call for you, but you started it with the friend. It doesn't have to be that you call a stranger up and talk to him. If that's what you want to do, do that. But mm-hmm. it's not always that way. You can call a friend and say, hey, man, I need to come to your house, sit down and talk. He may not be a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. but he can be your psychiatrist today. But he's got two ears. Yeah, he's got two ears. He can right. listen. And we can let that. I have been in the burnout situation where I backed up and said, all right, I'm going to take some time off. Mm-hmm. It wasn't up but a couple of days, but for those couple of days, I surrounded myself with a different philosophy. I surrounded myself with people who are not of the job and I live like a different person. Right. I, I didn't go, I didn't worry about work. I set my laptop in the corner and let it lay there. I didn't touch nothing. didn't touch, you know, work at all. Didn't, didn't think about it. Walked right by my car sitting in the yard. Don't, you know, flip the switch, turn it off, right? Set the body armor to the side and go. I'm not touching. It. I'm, 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 I'm taking work and keep your radio off. Yes, yes. <laughs> I do not. I, I did that for about a, a about ten seconds when I first got out of the academy. Listens to radio at home, and I heard some ridiculous call come out, and I went, nope, click, turn it off. I did it for a full year. I listened to the radio for a full year after I got out of the academy because if something was going down, I wanted to know about it. Until my sergeant, because I there was a group text, 
and I chimed in on the group text one time. He's like, do you have your radio on? <laughs> and I said, yeah. He says, turn that daggone thing off. Yes. And go to bed. Yes. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. Especially when you're on night shift at three exactly. o'clock in the morning, you're listening <laughs> right. to it. Yeah. And then you text the guy who's going to call and you go, Hey man, right. let me know what happens. And he goes, why are you awake? Right. Exactly. You know, um, why's your radio on? Yeah. <laughs> and I, t- and unfortunately, you know, and Nick knows I'm the magnet of my shift. So if a problem pops off, it's probably going to be with me. Right. And it's probably going to be something I'm going to coming hey. from or involved in. David's on that. Yeah, I'm I'm in the mix somewhere. Um, That's our call, man. When something goes down, yeah. Whether it's chasing motorcycles, the first time I met Nick, we were out there. He was chasing motorcycles, and then um, (laughs) I've seen I've seen quite a few of y'all go by me after or something, and I'm going, well, let me turn around (laughs) because I know what's fixing to happen, and I'm gonna have to deal with that scenario. Uh, and y'all do the same thing for us. Y'all see us running code and you go, "Mm, boy, let me go see what they got going on. Yeah. And, and especially you, especially you more than anybody I've, I've passed you on 17 racing after somebody. And all of a sudden I see a set of uh, lights off a Tahoe behind me. And I'm like, yeah, I know who that is. (laughs) Like uh, that one day on 17, I was talking to that guy and you Mm -hmm. pulled up beside me. I I knew that was you when you went by this way. (laughs) I was like, yeah, he's going to come back just a second. Watch it. There you go. There's Billy. Always checking. Always checking on my friends. Yeah, there's Billy. Um, <clears throat> so yeah. you're making that call. Yes, absolutely. To somebody that you trust, somebody that you have a good relationship with. Yeah. So if you weren't making the call, why do you think we'll put it in that in that different realm? Yeah. Why do you think other people would not make that phone call? Because when it comes to the final moment, whether it's they're induced by rage or hurt or whatever it is. Cause people are, our brothers and sisters are still killing themselves. Yeah. Daily around this country. Okay. It's happening all the time. Yeah. Okay. It's not, it's not a fallacy. It's a real thing. Oh yeah. We had two in our agency two months ago. Yep. Um, within six days of each other. So it's happening. That person that's not, what, what is it? What is stopping them from, from picking up their cell phone and at least reaching out to a friend and saying, man, if, if you don't get here, this is going to be over. What do you think is stopping them from doing that? I think it's the, me personally, I think it's the attitude that in their head, they're thinking this shouldn't be me. I shouldn't be in this position. I should be better than this. It's not about being better than that. There's no, there's no being better or worse than, than where you are. It's, making the decision that you can't deal with it yourself. And I, in my head, I translate it back to the job because it comes from the job. So I translate it into if I couldn't handle this situation by myself and I'm going to call for backup, why could, why don't I do the same thing for this mental scenario? Why don't I just go, I need your help. It's fine over here. I need something to talk. I, we need to talk. That's powerful. It doesn't, it doesn't matter that you're, it doesn't, opinions will kill more people in, <laughs> in this world than anything on God's green earth. Yep. And, and me and my mom had this hard conversation one time, uh, but opinions will get you hurt because you're so bent and worried that somebody's going to think bad of you that you won't ask for help. And sometimes it's, 
your own opinion of yourself. Yes. yes. Not even sometimes. I would say 90% of that comes from the other opinions, but then. Well, it's, it's, again, it goes back to, I, this shouldn't be me. Mm-hmm. I should be better than this. Right. If you have the mindset that, that you should be better than that, I think, I say this respectfully, but I think you need to humble up just a little bit because you're not better than any scenario that anybody else has been through. Mm-hmm. But you can handle it better than any, than others have because all you have to do is pick up that phone. I can, I can pick up my phone right now and I can send one text message, less than five words to one person, and within 10 minutes he will be standing in front of Nick's door with every piece of equipment he needs to get in this house and drag me out of it. <laughs> Nicky's coming in. Yeah. So I, it, it's, it's one of those <laughs> things awesome. where you have to establish a support system, man. And then you have to hold on to the fact that don't be over picking up the phone and calling somebody. I love that concept that you're bringing to it. Um, I learned something every single podcast. It's so incredible, dude. He relates it back to the job. I'm telling you, dude, the young guys rule. The, I mean, we're I'm, listen. Well, we got to we got to schedule every young guy I know. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the way it is. And it, but let, you're you're bringing it you're bringing it to the same point as if you were going into a domestic situation or you're going to a call where you know you're going to need backup. You're going to call for backup, dude. That is so that's powerful. Yeah. That is powerful right there. I because love that. You, you, for instance, situations that we were involved in in January. If I would have known that that was the result of that situation, I'd have been standing next to you guys when it happened. Right. You know what I mean? So if I know that I'm fixing to go down a hill that I can't climb back up, mm-hmm. I'm going to get somebody at the top of that hill that can drag me back up. And sometimes you got to be hard with your friends. You got to tell your friends you're going. Mm-hmm. You're going to get that help. Right. Because I see a darkness in you that you shouldn't have. And that's like that, that one I said I could call. Mm-hmm. he'll do that. He and, will literally walk up and grab me by the shirt and go, get you behind in the truck. We're going to do X, Y, and Z, and you're going to be happy for the end of it. And it's his way of saying, I see something wrong. We're going to fix it. And I'm here for you when you get it fixed. And you would do that for him. Absolutely. I would literally tear the door off of his house and pay to have it fixed while we're gone <laughs> so that him and I could go get something done and right. fix ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you, if any of my family listens to this podcast, they will 100% know who I'm talking about. Right. Especially the immediate ones. Mm-hmm. They're going to go, yeah, I know who he's talking about. Right. Uh, and because him and I are, everybody has them, we're the black sheep of the family. I got you. We're the ones that you call when you need something done that involves possible violence. Like, <laughs> if, there's, there's a reel that, <laughs> so funny, we're going to have to hurt somebody. Yeah. We got it. You can't tell anybody right. about it. Who's going with me? All right. Absol- what car, Jeremy what car you want to use? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. car you want to use? Yeah, exactly. They're the doorman at the family reunion. Right. Oh, exactly. no. We told her she can't come. Get her out. Get uh, her out. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> she um, ain't been around the last three Christmases. She's right. not coming. This, this is a, this is a, uh, this plays back into that. Right. This is uh, something, and I'd like to share this, but uh, 2020, 2020, I lost my grandmother and that person's brother, same time, that, that cousin's brother, his older brother, we lost him at the same year. Uh, we lost her in May, and then we lost him in October. Uh, it, right before Hancher 
Jacob Hancher got killed mm-hmm. with Myrtle Beach Police. Right. Uh, right before he got killed, it, we lost uh, him too. Um, at his funeral, at my cousin's funeral. Was he on, was he on the job? No, oh, no, no, no. Okay. No. It's a different scenario. I'm sorry. Uh, and I don't mind talking about it. Um, okay. He was in a place where he shouldn't have been, mm-hmm. um, dealing with some things that on the opposite side of our business. Um, and he didn't make it through it. Um, but back to the black sheep thing at his funeral, there was someone who decided it would be a good idea to come to that scene, that, you know, event and, uh, decide to make a, uh, an appearance there and, um, try to offer a few people that were still involved with my cousin at the time, uh, some things that they shouldn't have. And, uh. I'm tracking. Right. I'm tracking. Yeah, yeah. I'm tracking. I, I, I probably saved my uncle from going to prison because right. uh, he probably would have strangled him to death. But, uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, uh, it was brought to mind in his attention. And I walked outside and got real, uh, real close with him in a matter of seconds and uh, gave him a real heart-to-heart conversation. And magically, he all of a sudden left. And, uh, you know, that's that's the type of situation that the black sheep of everybody's family is, is there for. We're there to deal with the hard situations that everybody else sh- probably shouldn't be in. We know how to deal with those situations that we can keep ourselves out of trouble. We know how to do it without getting them in trouble and without getting us in trouble. And we can just kind of, that situation handles itself with just a few words and it, it disappears. Um, the support system that any black sheep in the family has, there's always two. There's, I've never seen a family that had less than two. Mm-hmm. There's always two. And it's me and him. And he is my, he is the definition of a brother. He, well, he's technically black. He's cousin. He's my cousin, but he's more of a brother than he is a cousin. Mm-hmm. I could call him right now. Again, I could call him right now. He'd be here in 10 minutes. You know, he would be here in 10 minutes and probably half the county chasing him, but he's going to get here before <laughs> he stops. Um, and, and sometimes I have to really mean because he, he gets a little overzealous about it, but you know, he, he, him and I support each other. Um, have that support system mm-hmm. is a big thing. Right. Have that support system that you need. Um, I have that support system. And one of them is you guys. And then the other one is him. And then, you know, and you don't have to have one support system. You can have 10, 12, 15, right. whatever. That's it's, important. it's whatever breaks your mind from that thought and gets you focused elsewhere. Because ultimately, whether you see a, a, your family, whether you talk to it with your family or you talk to it with a psychiatrist or, you, you know, you end up having to take a little bit of medication for a while, whatever, eventually you're going to have to get your mindset changed. It's, you can have support, but they're just there. The support is there to support you. It's not to support getting rid of the trauma. It's there to support you so that you get rid of the trauma. Right. Have that mindset that I'm going to do it. I'm going to win. They're going to push me. I'm good. I'm going to, you just got to get in your head that the support system is there to make me better. And I'm not to worry about anybody's opinion. And I'm going to just push through and I'll be fine. I just got to get from here to there. 
the road from here to there is going to be rough, but when I get there, I'm going to be good. And again, that folds back into the scenarios we talked about just mm-hmm. now, you know, with the wrecking thing. I started out with the trauma. I dealt with it a little while on my own, couldn't deal with it. Went back, reevaluated the scenario, come back up again. And now, unless you talk to me about it in this scenario or in a, a you know, a more heartfelt scenario, you know, it doesn't bother me. Day to day, I move on. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't focus on it. And I could handle it again if I needed to. Right. But having that support system is what got me through it. And um, I didn't know uh, Alexis at the time. And I told her about it. And she said, does it bother you? I said, sometimes. And then one day I was talking about it with, um, not, not my cousin, I was talking about it with somebody else. She was with me and uh, we left, got out to the truck and she stopped me and she just said, give me a hug. I said, what's wrong? She just give me a hug. So she hugged my neck and I'm standing there. And of course I'm a foot taller than her. And I'm like, why is she hugging me? And then I just kind of felt, felt, you know, that energy, you know, of, and and I kind of relaxed for a second and she goes, you okay? And I go, yeah. She goes, well, I just, I, I saw the look in your face. And I said, oh, oh, yeah. I said, I know. I said, I'm good. I'll be good in about 10 minutes. I said, just give me a minute to get my head back right, and I'm good. So you, you, the trauma is always going to be there. Right. For every trauma you ever have, it'll always be there. Uh, and for the situation in January, it will always be there with us. Mm-hmm. It'll come up. You'll have the emotion from it. And then it may take some time, but you'll slowly dial it back. And that's. You're just going to be that way. You're never going to completely get rid of the trauma. It's how you manage the trauma and how you deal with it and kind of push it down. And I'm not saying ball it up, push it down, but just push it to the priority, push it down the priority list. Because you don't put you it know, in a place. Yeah. You, you put it in a place where it's manageable. Yeah. And then eventually, uh, Parker McBride mentioned this. You put it in a compartment and you, you put it up on a thing and then you can pull it down every once in a while if you need to. But eventually you don't reach up for that anymore. Yeah. It's, it's in that spot. Yeah. You, it's um, a part of your past. It's labeled. It's in that box. It's there. You know it's there. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to reach for it anymore. And I really hope people take a lot of what's being said in these um, for what they really are worth because of the fact that there is... In four episodes, this would be the fifth episode, we've had several people from different backgrounds and different ages and different fields of work, um, and everything keeps repeating itself. Mm-hmm. All the things, all the tools, all the emotions, all the the situations of how, what, when, and why, and what got you through it, you know, all that stuff, it just keeps repeating itself. And so it shows that the, the proof is there. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the, the proof is in the pudding. Right. Right. So. The, the process works. It, yeah. It, it really does. It, the process works. It's getting the people to follow the process. Right. That's the struggle. Yeah. Because of where we, where we talk about, you know, the stigma and, um, and calling for backup, but not for when it's up here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nick and I have a goal. Our goal is zero suicide. Zero. Our goal is to eliminate 
the stigma, eliminate the stigma so that it's gone so yeah. that w- we don't have to sit on a table like this necessarily. Um, before you're going to tell whoever's listening and what's going we, on, we do have a lot of listeners now, which is awesome. Uh, but, but a situation that you went through that you had to deal with for three years before you kind of got to the point where now you can say, eh, just give me a minute. Let me get my head straight and we're yeah. good. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. That's awesome. So, I mean, you sound, you got the support system. Um, you got the men, the mental aptitude. You understand the job. Clear indication um, why you came to the podcast. I was going to, one of the questions, why, why did you, what was the excitement? What was the attraction for the podcast? What, what, what was it you wanted to say? And I, let me tell you something. Again, you're not, we're not getting bad guests on the podcast. We're getting incredible people coming and talking to us about this. I'm, yeah. I'm blown away. Honestly, I'm, I'm blown away. I've learned so much in just the last, what, 52 minutes or whatever we've been doing this. An hour and a half. But uh, oh, an hour and a half. And I still got five questions left. Hey, we can do all five. I'm good. <laughs> okay. I, I love to, I, I can talk forever. I, I, I really do. But you've established why you're here. Yes. You, you really have. Um, you've got something to say. You got a message for people. And, yeah. and, and it's amazing. And, and I, I expected when we came in, it was going to be a little more lighthearted. Yeah. We were going to have, you know, some comedic conversations, that, which we have. Yeah. Um, but I've learned an incredible amount from you in the last hour, just talking about all of this, the strength that you have, the resiliency that Nick spoke of. Amazing. Um, so next question, next five or 10 years. Where do you see yourself in, in your career? What do you, what do you see happening? What, what is your goal? I guess, what, what do you hope um, to accomplish in the next five or 10 years? You said you got what? 18 left. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've got, yeah, I've got 18 left uh, five to 10 years. Um, we'll see. Uh, there's different things I could do where I'm at. Um, I enjoy road work a lot, but at the same time, eventually I'm going to have, I'm going to have to slack up a little bit. Because uh, especially in, in in my home life with my family, I've seen age catch up with people who I thought were bulletproof, you know. So eventually, and every age catches up with everybody. So I don't want to be that you know sixty year old road trooper or road guy. You know, I don't want to be that guy where I'm still. You're not that old. Come on, Billy. I'm fifty four years old, man. Hey, well, listen. When I, mean, I in six years, when I say that, I'm going to be that 60 year old road trooper that you're well, talking hey, about. <laughs> but what, when I say that though, I mean, I say that as in, it's going to be a while before I get there. I hear you. You know what I mean? You started, I started you're healthy. Late. I'm healthy. I, I'm probably right. going to be healthy in 20 years, Right. but I don't know what 20 years is going to hold. So in 20 years, if I am unable to do the job the same way, mm-hmm. I need to think of another avenue. I understand because <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And, and right. Nick doesn't either. We've we seen don't. injuries that we didn't, mm-hmm. nobody ever come back from. <clears throat> right. So I would like to think that my skills on the job will translate into things I can do five to 10 years from now. Right. Um, Cause honestly, this job will eventually catch up to you physically, but may not catch up to you when you want it to. So especially, especially if you have to chase somebody. On foot. 
Yeah, and, I, and I'm fat, so it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, I have to get a head start, otherwise he's gonna outrun <laughs> me. Um, but five to ten years, I, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to take on a more of a supervisory role. Um, go, matter of fact, going to uh, FTO school next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, did a little bit of that yesterday. Right. Uh, so uh, go into that, and then a little bit of supervisory work. And uh, as you and Nick know, I'm always into something. Right. And uh, anything that comes out in our area, you know, I'm always right in the middle of it. Right. If not, I'll be there shortly. Um, <laughs> give me 10 minutes. Yeah, right. You yeah. say that to me all the time. Give yeah, me, exactly. Give me 10 minutes. I'll yeah, be give there. Give me 10 minutes. I'll be there. Uh, <laughs> if you catch me at the right moment, give me five. Uh, if you call for help, give me one. Right. Um, but uh, I'd like to be, you know, in a supervisory role of some capacity. Maybe mm-hmm. not, maybe not an actual supervisor, but you know, somebody who can lead the shift when the supervisor's out or take right. on a little bit of responsibility, kind of lighten the load on the supervisor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause he manages us. My supervisor now manages us quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, surprisingly, he deals with all the things. I didn't know supervisors did as much as they did, especially with my agency. Um, and to see it from his side, you know, so I'd like to take a little bit of load off of him if I can. Uh, but right now I've got a goal and, you know, we've talked about the goal this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to beat that goal, and then I'm going to move to the next goal. And move, you know, uh, but yeah, supervisor role, five to ten years, that'd be good in some fashion. All right, man. Well, listen, uh, it's been awesome having you here. We definitely got to get you back here for a part two. We've been on, we've been going for a little while here, so we definitely want to get you back for a part two. You okay with that? Yeah, absolutely, man. You got a lot of knowledge that you can give some folks, and Nick and I. I know I'm in awe, so this went well. So let's get you back for a part two. Everybody, day one, week one podcast, episode number five, Dave Raven. Episode five, part one. Part one. Part two, to be coming.